0: morning, everyone. Hope you guys all had a blessed week, and uh, it's good to gather together. We are going to be today in Nehemiah chapter 9, so you can open your Bible there, Nehemiah chapter 9. And I'm always grateful to gather with you guys on Sunday morning. And you know, it's, it's a debate as to whether Sunday is the end of the week or the beginning of the week. What do you guys think? Oh, I heard a little mix right there. You know, is Sunday the last day of, of what's past, what's behind us, or is it the first day of what is future? And I, I think that Sunday can be both. I think that for us, Sunday is a great day for us to look back and reflect on what we've done, how God has worked in our lives. And we would look forward to the things that we would want to do and the things that we would want God to do in our lives. And so Sunday is a great day for the church to look in both directions, right? To look back and to look forward. Today, as we sang in that song this morning, can be the end of something old and the beginning of something new. It's, it's a day of change. It's a day for transition. And of course, right change, transition um, in your life. That can can happen any day. But I find that it often happens on Sunday. I find that when I gather with God's people, when I gather in the word of God and and in the worship of God, God likes to do some changes in my life. And that sort of thing happened for the Israelites as we're gonna see here in Nehemiah chapter nine. They were at a point of change. They were at a point of spiritual renewal. God was doing a really deep work of, of changing his people by his word as they're responding to this newfound understanding of the law of God. And so they're looking back, right, in reflection of their past history. And they're looking forward and they're, they're making requests to God for the things that they would want him to do in their future. They, they see things in their history that they don't want to repeat in their future, And so the people gathered in this way as as one assembly of people, just as we saw last week, and even just as we're seeing here right now, we're gathered here together with one heart and one mind. We're coming to God because we know that God is the one who changes us. God is the one that renews us. And so we're coming together here. We're asking God to do that sort of work among us. And so that's what we're going to see today as we're in Nehemiah chapter 9. We're going to see people having change come into their lives as they turn away from sin and they turn back to God. And as Ben-Kai said, we have a word for that in the Bible. It is called repentance. And you know, repentance is something that is often met by people with sort of like, ooh, we're talking about repentance today, right? It's going to be a heavy one. But but repentance, as we know from, for instance, what Peter said uh, in his first sermon to the church, that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And that when we repent, times of refreshing come upon us. And so, it's a good thing. It's a God thing that He is always calling us to do. You know, to repent uh, comes from the idea of of turning around, making a U-turn in your life. You were going a certain direction. You were going towards sin and away from God, and there came a point in your life when you made a decision to turn back to God and to face Him and to begin to walk with God again in the direction that He has for you. It's a 180-degree turn. It's a a U-turn for the Lord. It comes from, in the New Testament, this Greek word called metanoia, and it's It has, yes, it has to do with our actions, our behaviors, but it begins with the mind, and it begins in the heart. It has to do with the will, and it really is something that, in fact, God grants to us. It's a gift that He gives to us, and then we choose to respond to that gift that God offers. And so my desire is that every time we would come here on Sunday mornings and that we would gather with the Word of God, knowing that God's going to speak to us, that we would have an eagerness in our hearts, that we would have an expectation in our minds, that we would come to God knowing that He is going to do something good. Because every time, right, every time we open this book, God speaks to us. This word goes out and it doesn't return void. And, it, and when God speaks to us, we have a decision to make to allow it to renew our minds and to realign our lives with this book. He helps us to cast off the old and, and Jesus comes and he says, behold, I make all things new. And so God's word has that power upon our lives to spiritually alter where we are at And so with your Bibles open to Nehemiah chapter 9, let's see what the Lord has for us, both as a church um, and for us as individuals. Um, Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word's going to speak today. And whether we've come here today already knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior, or whether we're here because we're seeking Jesus to find a life worth living for. We're seeking to see some changes in our lives. Well, Lord, faith and repentance are the way to you. As Kai says, it's, it's the path that leads to God. And Lord, when we come to you, Lord, you give us life in the fullness. And so, God, as we study repentance today from your word, Lord, I also pray that we would experience it today. We don't just want to be hearers of your words, Lord. We want to be doers. And so, God, help us to hear and to receive and to experience all that you have for us. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. 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 So, Nehemiah chapter 9, beginning at verse 5 and all the way down to verse 38, we have recorded here a prayer, a long prayer. And we're going to come to it. We're going to read this prayer. It is... uh, 1,213 words. That's how long this prayer is. And if you read it out loud, it takes about eight minutes. So a little later in the message, we're going to all read that prayer together. But it's interesting to me to think that the longest prayer in the Bible only takes eight minutes to speak. Think about that. It tells us that our prayers don't have to be long to be effective. And let me tell you a few things about this prayer. This prayer, it it wastes no time in getting to the point. It's a very direct prayer. And it's a prayer that recounts thousands of years of God's redemptive history. Therefore, it's an informed prayer. And lastly, it puts God in his proper place, which is high and lifted up. And it puts us in our proper place, which is to be made low, to be humbled. And therefore, it's a humble prayer and one that exalts God for who he is. So this powerful prayer, which we're going to get to, there's, there's going to be a lot that we're going to glean from it today. But before we get to the prayer itself, what we want to do is we want to set up the picture in our minds of how the people of Israel were gathered together as they prayed this prayer to God. And so in verses one through four, we're going to see that picture. It says, now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in the place and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua and Bani and Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunai, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chenani. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Man, when we get through Nehemiah, I'm, I'm excited to be in the New Testament where the names are a little bit easier to read. <laughs> but we see there in verse 1 that a time stamp was given. In verse 1, it says it was the 24th day of the month. And in chapter 8, which we studied last week, we saw that the people gathered at the city gate called Watergate, and they read from the scriptures. Ezra stood on the platform, and the people listened as the scriptures were read. And they did that, as it says, on the first day of the seventh month, which also happened to be a Jewish holiday. It was the Feast of Trumpets. And this was supposed to be a day of joyful celebration that God had commanded his people to celebrate. But when they read from the book of the law, the people were cut to the heart and they began to weep and mourn over their sin. They heard and they understood God's word and they realized, oh, how how they had fallen so short of God's standards that he had set up for them. And so the people were weeping and they were mourning. However, Nehemiah came to the people and he told the people, do not weep, for this day is holy. They were told not to grieve and that the joy of the Lord was their strength. And they went out from that place and they, they ate the fat and they drank the sweet wine and they went and they rejoiced in the Lord. And then the next day, the fathers came, and they gathered with Ezra to study God's book. And as they did that, they rediscovered another festival that came just after the Feast of Trumpets. This time, it was the Feast of Tabernacles, where for a week, the people went, and they they went into the mountains, and they, they grabbed all these leafy branches, and they came, and they made temporary dwelling places in order to remember how God had led his people through the wilderness wanderings. And it was, a, it was like a big camp out for the Israelites as they were there sleeping in these booths. And that feast ended on the 22nd day of the seventh month with a solemn assembly. And so here's where we pick up with the people of Israel. It is the 24th day of the seventh month, which means that it's two days after the Feast of Tabernacles. You're thinking, wow, Daniel how's this all like relevant information? Well, let me just simply make this point is that if you're tracking with me, this means that it had been a little over three weeks since they had first heard and understood God's law and were deeply convicted about their sins. But remember, right, they they had to press the pause button on their sorrow over their sin. They, They were commanded to celebrate the holy day that God had commanded his people to keep. And so Nehemiah is telling, hey, guys, stop weeping about your failures. Be happy. Go rejoice. But the people didn't forget about that first day when they were deeply moved by the word of God. And so they went back to that day. They went went back to those feelings that they had first felt when God's word was heard and understood. When they realized how they had missed God's mark. That's that's actually what sin means, is to miss the mark. They missed the mark of God's law. And you see, it's, it's good for us as people to come back to that place of repentance. To come every so often, as as often as you need to, to the place where you will mourn over your sin. To come back to a place, especially for a believer in Jesus Christ, to come back to the cross and know what it costs Jesus to pay the penalty of our sins. Even as we sang that song this morning, I I deserve to be six feet in the ground. (laughs) I deserve death, but Jesus died and gave me life and to recognize our sin before God. Now, I'm going to give you guys a very simple and true statement. Are you ready for it? I love it, Cor. core's ready. I don't know about the rest of you guys. This is the statement. No one can come to salvation without repentance of sin. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ you've repented of your sins, then there there should be a day or, or perhaps a season where you can think back and you can remember how you were broken over your sin and your shame and you called out to God to save you from your sin and to give you life. Whether that happened for you three days ago, there's a brother here named David who came here Thursday afternoon and had that happen to him whether it happened three weeks ago, or three months ago, or three years ago, or three decades ago, however long you've been walking with God, can you go back to that moment when you heard and understood God's Word? Can you go back to a moment when you recognized your own sin, your own personal sin before God, and you turned from it? Can you go back to a moment where through belief and repentance, you know that God saved you? You would say it wasn't anything that you did. It wasn't a work. Repentance is not a work. It's a response to his grace. And you can look back and you can say, I have responded to God in that way. Because for the follower of God, there should be at least one moment, if not many moments, where you can recount repentance. And again, it's good to come back to that place. You know, in the Christian life, repentance is not a one and done thing. Repentance is a continual and ongoing work that happens in our lives as God sanctifies us in his truth. We are always coming to God in repentance. So if you are thinking about this and you're like, well, I don't know that I can remember a time of repentance in my life. And, and if that's you, then today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you listen to these words and you recognize God's faithfulness. And against the backdrop of God's faithfulness, you would see your faithlessness. And you would say, God, I need to turn to you. I need to put my faith, my trust my hope in you. I need to turn from my sin because it's not going anywhere. It's not leading me to anything good. I need to turn from that sin, and I need to turn to the goodness of God. And that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day that you repent and believe upon Jesus. See, that is where the people are at in Nehemiah chapter 9. Although Jesus had not yet come, they were looking forward to the coming Messiah, but, but they repented and they were being renewed through repentance. So let's look at this posture that they had in verse 1. It says, now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. So here the people are gathered. There's three things that are described to speak about how humbled these people were. First, it says that they fasted, which means that they uh, temporarily gave up food in order to deny the impulses of their fleshly desire. That's what fasting is. It's, it's temporary putting something that is a distraction or a hindrance from you drawing close to God. Not that food necessarily is that, but it, you spend that time seeking God, and that is what they did. They also wore sackcloth. They put on these scratchy clothes made out of black goat hair. Does anybody have a black goat hair jacket in their closet? No. See, these sackcloths were like like burlap. You know, the things that you do like the, at harvest festivals, the little races? They wore those. Scratchy, itchy, nasty clothes. And the idea was to reject the idea of ever becoming comfortable in sin. We get comfortable in sin, don't we? And when we put ourselves through those situations, that might make us realize, oh yeah, I'm never meant to get comfortable in in this flesh. And so then they put earth on their heads. They covered themselves in dirt or ash. And what that was was to demonstrate their humility before God, knowing that God had even made them from the dust into dust they would go trusting that God would see these works. Um, But these works, although they were outward and look, you could fast, you can wear sackcloth and you can put earth on your head, but God's not doing anything in your heart. But for these people, we see that these outward actions were demonstrating an inward humility. They They were having a physical expression that would represent their spiritual brokenness. They were taking what they were feeling in their souls and they were putting it on their bodies. And so the people, in verse 2, it says that they also, the Israelites, separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. So they gathered together as the Israelites, the chosen people of God, and they separated themselves from all non-Jewish people because God needed to do a work among his people to bring them back to worshiping him alone. And and the issue was is that the foreigners often brought with them the worship of foreign gods. We see this repeated all throughout Israel's past where, where God's people would join together with foreigners, often through marriage, and then by doing that, they would join together in the worship of other gods. That was the downfall of King Solomon. And the Jews knew this about their past. They knew the temptation that that the people would want to be with someone or have something that Yahweh hadn't given to them. They they didn't want what God had to offer. They're they're like, what would they have to offer? And so the people recognized that God was all that they needed and they separated themselves from everyone who did not fear the Lord. And then it says that they confessed their sins. They confessed their own sins and the iniquities of their fathers. See, to, to confess simply means this. It means to agree with God. To say the same thing is actually what it means. Um, to say the same thing about your sin that God says about your sin. See, God says in this book what is sin and what is not sin. Sin, a lot of times we think of the things that we commit, the things that we do, but the Bible also presents that there's sins of omission, things that you're not doing that God has commanded to you. So whether there's things that you're doing that God has said in this book not to do, or you're not doing what God has said in this book to do, that's sin. That's missing God's book, that's violating his words, and that is sin. And so they would confess that to God. And they, they confess their own sin, but they also did this. They identified like collectively as a people group, like, like as a mass of people. And they also said, we have sinned. There, there's a shared confession. See, a lot of times we either only confess our own sins and we don't think about everyone else, or we just think about everyone else and we don't confess our own sins, You got to do both. And I think there's a proper order. You confess your own sins first, remove the log out of your own eye, and then you confess the sins of others. But there was this collective confession that was made. So, guys, with all of this that we're seeing, would we, like Israel did, put ourselves in a posture that would say, we want to worship God alone? Would we put ourselves in a way where we would say, in all the ways that I have not worshipped you, I confess that, and I turn to you. And so everything that the Israelites were doing here, what it was, was to get in realignment with the Lord again. They had gotten off his path, and they recognized it. And, And I love this. I love that they didn't dismiss it, that they didn't ignore it. They didn't say, well, we're not as bad as those other foreigners, (laughs) those other nations. They didn't make excuses for it. They didn't suppress the shame and the sorrow that they felt for their sin. They brought it out and they brought it to God. And God saw it. God does something about it. And so, God was pleased to see this happening from heaven. And in verse 3, it says, and they stood up in their place, and they read from the book of the law their God for a quarter of the day. And for another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. So, Israel spent half the day seeking God. Six hours 3 hours of the day they read from the book and another quarter of the day 3 hours they confessed and they worshiped and, and guys if we don't get to verse 5 which is this long prayer we're probably going to be here for 6 hours right um but but we're here we're gathered in this time and we have to consider 6 hours that the people spent with God and and look you're here this morning for an hour and 15 minutes I can see the clock right now. I know that like in about 10 minutes from now I should be wrapping up. But we have to consider time. You know, um when God's doing a renewing work in you, you're going to want to spend time with him. Do you do you remember when you first experienced God, when you first experienced faith and repentance and where all of a sudden you wanted to gather with other believers, spend time at church? Did you find yourself all of a sudden, you know, wanting to listen to worship and sing to God in your car or in your house? Do you remember how you began to read from the Bible and spend time in it seeking to understand what God is saying to us? Did you remember when you found the time when you wanted to talk to God throughout your day in prayer? And I ask all of that because time spent with God like that, time reading His Word, time worshiping, time praying, time with God is evidence that God is doing a work in you. Because, guys, if we have in our faith like this rushed mentality where during the times that we spend with God, all you're thinking about is, "Man, when can I be done with this?" Then, then that's a moment to pause and ask God to renew your desire to spend time with Him. Time in His Word, time in worship, time with God's people. Because, friends, time is a revelation of our worship. If Look at how you spend your day, and it'll tell you what you worship. And so we spend time with the Lord. And whatever amount of time, it's no legalistic kind of sense, like there's a quota that you have to meet. But I ask that because it's a revelation of our worship. And so the people spent time with God. And in verse 4, as we've already read, it says that there were eight Levite priests that stood on the steps, and we can assume that these steps that they stood on were the steps that led up to the platform that Ezra read from the book of the law. And it says that they stood on the steps, and they cried out with a loud voice to their God. Again, we're seeing that these people were not bored. They weren't distracted. They weren't just like ho-hum through the day. Like, they were moved by God at this gathering, and there was a work that was being seen as the Lord was ministering to his people. And, and I love that picture there of the steps of the platform, sort of like what we have right here, being used as a place for prayer. And I've offered it before, and I'll continue to offer it, that these steps are always going to be open and available for anyone who wants to use them as a place to kneel before God in prayer. We have over here in the in the corners now these spots that are... Uh, stations i guess you could say for prayer where we've got our prayer team that'll be over there after the sermon for any any prayer of thanksgiving or confession or or just you you just need you need prayer for something you can go to these places and and i would want in our church that we would have this culture where where we can respond to God in these sorts of ways, where it's okay to move out from your seat and come to the front. It's okay to move out from the aisle and, and go and receive prayer. But, but, but I understand something because I felt this myself before. It, and I, I wanna make sure that there's none of this culture in our church, whereas that if, if you're thinking that if I'm going forward and kneeling in prayer on the steps, or I'm going up for prayer, people are going to think something's wrong with me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's something wrong with all of us. <laughs> Everyone's got something wrong with them. <laughs> but we would think that if we're, if we're like going for prayer, that that's a sign of weakness. No, friends, that's a sign of strength. It's a sign of strength to respond to God in humble prayer. It's a sign of strength to confess our sins. See, humble repentance is not an embarrassment. It's a blessing. And would we have that sense in our church that when God is doing something in us spiritually, we would allow it to affect us? We would allow it to move us. And we see biblically even that people were moved in physical postures that corresponded with the postures of their souls. Hands raised in praise, heads bowed in humility, knees bent in prayer. All of these outward expressions are signs of the genuine work of God's spirit that he does in us. And so would we let the Lord move us? both spiritually and physically in this church. We never want to make this church about being seen by other people. It's not about, oh, you know, I got my hands raised, so that makes me look holy or anything. But would we know that we can draw near to the Lord in that way? And when we do, he draws near to us. Amen? Amen. Finally, we come to the prayer. In verse 5, it says, Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to do what the Israelites did on that day. We're going to stand up wherever you are. If you're able to stand up, would you stand to your feet? And this posture of standing, what it does is it signals to the Lord and to us that, that we honor God, that we honor his name and his word. And, and as we're going to pray this prayer, I love how the prayer begins. The, the Levite said, bless the Lord our God from everlasting to everlasting. And so as we stand right now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read uh, this prayer out loud, and, and we're going to agree with it. So do your best. If, if following along by reading in your Bible is the best way to, to do that, if, if just closing your eyes and listening is the best way to do that, let's do this. Let's pray. I, I'm going to read it, and, and re- we'll receive it as a prayer, and we're going to agree with it. So starting in verse 5, kind of down toward the end where it says, blessed be your glorious name, we're going to read. You guys ready? Ready? All right, it said, says this. So we're all standing. It says, bless the Lord our God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven the heaven of heavens with all their host, The earth and all that is on it the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. The host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram, and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and gave him the name Abraham. You brought you found his heart faithful before you and made him made with him the covenant to give to his offspring, the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heard their cry at the Red Sea, and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers." And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone in mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law, for Moses, a law by Moses, your servants. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst." And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is our God who brought us up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness." The pillar of cloud that led them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued them before the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and gave them their hand, gave them into their hand with their kings and the people of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities in a rich land and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness." Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you, and cast your law behind their back, and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you, and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies, who made them suffer. And at the time of their suffering, they cried out to you, and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules. You guys see the pattern? Which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the people of the land. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God. The great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all this hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people, since the time of the king of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, And we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves to this day. In the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruits and its good gifts, behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of all of this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, in our priests. Amen? Amen. Amen. You guys could sit down. Um, what do you guys think about that? Powerful. Powerful, right? What do we see in that prayer? We see a lot. We see God's redemptive history from Abraham to Moses. In verse 7 through 8, from Moses to Joshua in verse 9 to 23, from Joshua to Judges in verse 24 to 26, and from Judges to the time of Nehemiah in verse 27 to 31. It's recounting God's redemptive plan through history. The prayer includes 20 sins of Israel, but it includes 74 facts about God. It's much more a prayer about who God is and and what God has done for his people, but it does also address what his people have done and how his people must turn to him. See, we see these characteristics of God. And, and, and in this church, we'll say this all the time, right? You, you hear me say it, bring the real you to the real Jesus. You know, in that statement, um, God is constant. He's the variable that never changes. We are the ones that are always changing. We are the variable in that statement. So to bring the real you to the real Jesus, Jesus never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I just want to also remind you that, that you know, the God of the Old Testament is not like a, a different sort of angry, mean, grumpy, wants to, you know, lash out on you, God, and then the god of the new testament you know is is this kind gentle sweet forgiving god you No, know, the way that god reveals himself even in the old testament in that great statement that um, slow to anger abounding in steadfast love he is compassionate he is glorious he is righteous he is great he is mighty he keeps covenant he never forsakes He leads people with his presence. He rescues us from our enemies. He feeds us, clothes us, satisfies our thirst. He gives his good spirit to instruct us. He gives us land and shelter and family and clothing. He delivers his people time and time and time again. Even if it's the seventh or eighth or hundredth time that his people come to him in repentance, he always forgives, he always restores, he always brings his people back because God is constant. We are the variable. We were meant to worship our Creator, and yet we are often found in affliction of sin, crying out to God. We are arrogant, and God needs to rescue us. We are presumptuous, where we stiffen our necks and disobedient. We do not obey God's commands. In fact, we refuse to obey. We're not mindful of the wonders of God, even when they're right before our eyes. We worship idols and commit blasphemies. We cast God's law behind our back and stiffen our neck to him and give him the cold shoulder. We then cry out to God and come back and say, oh, God, I'll never do it again. I'll never do it again. I love you, God. And then what do we do? We find rest and we find peace and we find comfort and then we get a little comfortable in our rest. We get a little bit comfortable and then we go back towards sin and it's this vicious cycle of sin and repentance and restoration and sin and repentance and restoration. And and that is how it was in the old covenant. That's still how it is today. But see, What the Israelites were operating under was the old covenant. We have a new covenant. In the next chapter, it says they're going to make a covenant with God where if they disobey, God will curse them. And if they obey, God will bless them. Do you know that the promise of the new covenant removes the curse part? Because Jesus was cursed as he hung upon a tree to forgive us of our sins. That Jesus left heaven and came to earth in human flesh, and he perfectly obeyed God. He fulfilled the law. He didn't come to abolish the law, but he perfectly fulfilled it, something that you and I could never do. And he came and he lived a perfect and a sinless life so that he can die a perfect death for sinners. And when we repent of our sin and we turn to Jesus, God blesses us in the Son. God sees us as he sees his Son, Jesus Christ, which is perfectly righteous, perfectly obedient, perfectly good. And he gives even his good spirit, not just to instruct us, but to dwell in us, that we might be obedient children of God. We have received such a great promise in the new covenant that God has removed the curse of sin so that you can obey God, that you can walk in obedience with your Savior. But if you're, if you're human, you know the struggle. You know the wrestle of the flesh and the spirit. You know how you will fall into sin at times and you'll come back to God and you repent. At least I hope you are. I hope that when you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, when you offend your master, you come to him in repentance. And every time we do, he forgives us. And I just want to declare a a better promise over us, the promise of the new covenant that that the Israelites longed to see, and we have today, where God came in the flesh and perfectly obeyed, on our behalf. It says this in Romans chapter eight, so there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses, which the Israelites were following here, was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the body we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And he did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our own sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. That's the gospel. Have you received it? That's Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 4 in the New Living Translation. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Let's bring the worship team up and let's respond to God today. It's time to respond. It's time to let God's word that is washed over us renew us. And God renews his people by repentance. So let, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this wonderful morning. Thank you for your people here who have gathered because they want to follow you, Jesus. They want to obey you, God. And Lord, it's not, a, it's not a matter of if we have sinned. We have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not a single one in this room today. But Jesus, you are, you are perfectly righteous as you came and lived in a body like ours. It says in Hebrews that in your fight against sin, you haven't resisted to the point of shedding blood. <laughs> And the beauty is that you have Jesus. You shed your blood, which we're going to sing about right now. And your blood is the blood of the new covenant. We, we want to commune with God. We want to take your body and your blood, your perfect sacrifice, and we want to receive it as the full satisfactory payment for our sins. And God, I pray right now for anyone here and as you're here if if you've heard this message today and you're saying i, I want to come to jesus i want to turn from my sin and i want to turn to god i haven't done that i can't recall a time in my life where i've i've turned from my ways and i've turned toward god's ways and, and if you're ready to do that here today everyone stuff their heads about you, you just lift up your hand so i can see you anyone here I see you right back there. Praise the Lord. Praise God. I see you over here. Yes. Amen. See you over there, sir. Okay. And, and also, I want to give an opportunity. Um, there's this word called rededication that we often will use, but it, it's really just a, a word for repentance. Or if you have not been walking with your God, you know him, you know the truth, you know the gospel, you've heard it, you've received it, but you, you have not been walking with him and you know it. And God's word has shined a light today on your life and, and it's exposed the places that you know you need to turn to him. And, and if you're ready to rededicate your life to Jesus, would you also raise your hand? See you too. Praise God. Praise God. Now, the raising of the hand, all that was was just a a physical representation of an inward reality. So, Holy Spirit, I pray you do the work in each one of these believers. I pray right now for those who raise their hand to receive you as Lord and Savior, that right now they would pray whatever prayer they can that would confess their sin, confess their need for you, and recognize Jesus as God and Savior of their lives. I pray they pray that prayer with you right now. For anyone who is rededicating, Lord, I pray that they pray a prayer right now that would confess their sins, that would turn back to you and say, God, would you renew and restore me? I want to walk with you closer. I, I, I'm, I'm done with this distance that I feel between, between you and I. And God, for the rest of us, I, we all can draw closer to God. We can all access God's throne with boldness, confidence, to receive grace and mercy and help in a time of need. And we all need you, Lord. So would you draw us close to yourself this morning? Would you draw us close with faith and repentance? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand up and worship the Lord. Praise God. And over here in this corner, about four of you over there, raise your hand to receive Christ. I'd love to talk to you and pray with you. I'll be right over here with Robin over in the prayer wings and we've got prayer people over here but also these steps here at the front are available for us to kneel before our God in prayer but let's worship with this beautiful song we're about to sing called Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. Let's do it.